Welcome back to the Winsome Conviction Podcast. In the last segment, we had the opportunity to talk with a social commentator the New York Times described as one of the most influential journalists of the past three decades. And that person's Andrew Sullivan, and he's been a former editor of The New Republic, founding editor of The Daily Dish, and has been a regular writer for New York Times Magazine, The Atlantic, Newsweek, New York Magazine. And in the first episode, uh, we were able to cover the danger of things like labeling people, how important it is to, to humanize others, and the secret to creating and maintaining a healthy democracy. We'd like to start this segment on a surprisingly hopeful note. What struck us about Sullivan is that while he's fully aware of the reality of today's argument culture, he remains optimistic. What most strikes him about Americans is not our vitriol, but rather our generosity. And I found in my own experience in that 15, 20 year period of, of, of going on TV and going on radio shows and going on podcasts and going to colleges and all these talks I did, that you meet people where they are. You don't bristle with resentment the minute you see them. You talk to them straight in the eye and you talk about this in a respectful and calm way. They will come and meet you. I'm, I was amazed by the generosity of people. Americans, I, I, and I say this as an immigrant, <laughs> they're, they're generally a pretty good, nice people to hang out with. You know, they're civil, they're nice, and they all. There's this dramatic disjunction between the quality of people we know in our own lives, right? And, and the way people help one another and the way people interact with each other, civility that actually does exist in loads of places all over the place, the small acts of charity, the, 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 the communities that take care of each other, that goes on all the time in ways that doesn't happen quite as aggressively or as interestingly or as vivaciously in other countries. It's um, what uh, James Davison Hunter calls the excluded middle. Right. Is what you're describing. <laughs> we often focus on the radical hard left, hard right, uh, that makes us forget about the kindness and the generosity and the humanity and of also the, the practicality of Americans. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just a terribly practical country. So like, how do we yeah. fix this? That's the core American question. Mm. Yeah. It's not what is the meaning of this. I mean, that's <laughs> more France. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's it's and so it has these strengths. It's also passionate, though. It's a wild and crazy place as well. Right. Um, and we then also injected this new phenomenon called social media in the 21st century, which uh, deliberately is designed to kind of draw your own bile out of you, yeah. <laughs> to display it to the world. And it, reward it, you when that comes and out. And make you feel yes. good, because yeah. you got more likes now, yeah. and I got more uh, retweets, and so you get rewarded. Yeah. And it feels good, and it's hard to resist because we're all human, and that kind of environment sustains it and generates it, but it's not all we are. As co-directors of the Winsome Conviction Project, we, like many of our listeners, are concerned about today's cancel culture. While Sullivan shares that concern, he's also surprisingly sees some positives to it. Can we jump back? You did something that I try to encourage my students to do. You mentioned the pro-con approach. So let's do a test case. Let's do cancel culture. But, but let's do a pro-con of it, because we can kind of see what that could be. The con could be you see 
cancel culture is a slippery slope that leads to intolerance in democratic societies as people systematically exclude anyone who disagrees with their views. But the pro could be cancel culture serves as a greater purpose in that it holds people to account. So some people have said we shouldn't call it cancel culture, we should call it call out culture. Could you give your own spin? Uh, and I know we're asking you to do this off the top of your head. Uh, uh, what you see is the positive and negatives uh, of cancel culture today. Well, public discourse always changes. It's changed. The way we talk now, the subjects we talk about, the words we use are different than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. So that's an evolution that takes place. Uh, and so that evolution happens because certain ideas or ways of speaking become unpopular. And because they're dated or they feel, nah, I mean, if you look at things you yourself said 20 years ago, it can feel a little, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so that's a natural thing and it's a good thing. And some things are the fact that we don't talk about women the way you could listen to this. Or you go back to watch sitcoms in the seventies and it's sort of like, well, some of it was pretty funny, actually. They were kind of funny, but they were also terrible. I mean, uh, and so you, you're happy that happened, but that is a natural process that occurs from public taste emerging and evolving. Mm. And also when people do that things, they don't get booked back, they, they become less popular, or um, uh, they, they just simply fade from view, or they get criticized, harshly criticized. And no one, no one should be in any way opposed to being harshly criticized. That's an incredibly important thing in a society. And people in public life need to be able to grow up, take it on the chin. Mm. That's, what the, that's what you, I don't whine. I've been called, I don't know how many, but I, no point in whining. You're out there, you're making arguments, they're going to come back at you. The difference with cancer culture is very simple. They don't want to harshly criticize me. They want to get me fired. Mm. It's when you take the harsh criticism and then turn the criticism of an idea into the moral indictment of a human being and then seek to punish that human being, mm. publicly punish, publicly shame, and find ways to humiliate. And that's a different dynamic, and that's a sort of mob dynamic, and it's a, it's a dis personally destructive dynamic, uh, and it's a way to intimidate other people from airing anything uh, different than your point of view. It's a way to chill the discourse mm. artificially. In yeah. other words, it's to use, yeah. it's, it's, it's out of bounds. It's basically out of bounds. No, you can, you can argue against this person, you can say this person is such a thing, but you don't create a petition to get that person fired from her job because she did something you don't agree with. As a public figure, Sullivan has often been the focus of those who would like to cancel his voice or views. In this segment, he candidly shares his experiences with being canceled. But tell us your story. I, I, it'd be great for it'd be great for us to hear just a little bit about what that really looked like, because it's we we tend to see media from a bit from afar, and you tend to see it from the inside, obviously. Give well, us a bit of a thing. feeling for how that works. I, I loved working at New York Magazine. It's a great magazine. It has been a great magazine. I'm, I'm not going to bash it now. Um, I did some great pieces for them, and I enjoyed it. And my editors there were all fantastic, actually. I mean, and defended me from this pressure. 
uh, until they didn't, until the, <laughs> until something, I mean, I, there wasn't actually in a, there wasn't actually a specific thing they cited. So I wasn't, I didn't say something that rendered me un, unassociable with, <laughs> uh, I didn't write something that they could point to. It was nothing they had as such. Mm. Um, but I was clearly not part of their social justice campaign, as it were. And so increasingly, you would get what I would call a regular edit. Then you would get a sensitivity edit. And then you find that your pieces are being edited, being sent to a, a sensitivity board of people who will see if they're offended, that person's offended, this person. And then you, then you come back with notes that you challenging everything you're tr- until you till eventually this goes on and gets worse and worse until you, as a writer you become completely frustrated and uh and then you're told you can't use a certain word uh and th- for a writer to be told you can't use the word it, the word was riot by the way for what was happening in the summer of 2020 <laughs> uh, that was not allowed it was <laughs> it was it was yeah. the copy desk that banned it mm. um because it might mean that this genuine political unrest was being demonized in some way. And I'm like, I'm a writer. I can use whatever words. Anyway, uh, so it happened kind of cumulatively, and it was coming not from the top but from the bottom. Mm. It was coming from junior yeah. young staffers, many of whom were part of that Gen Z generation, who regarded, who actually at one point regarded um, uh, publishing me as rendering their workplace officially unsafe. Yeah. for women to work in. So they went to HR to complain. So my, my auditors have to go through this process of, of this arduous process of having to defend me again and again. And so then I find myself not wanting to put my editors through this process. Mm. So then I find myself pulling some punches and then I get fed up with that. So I really do a punch <laughs> and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, I was going to go, but they, they had to make a statement about it. Uh, and I'm lucky because, and this is, it, I'm not complaining about myself in this way, because what I worry much, 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 much more about is the young 25-year-old person who might be thinking of going to journalism and looks at what happened to me and thinks, well, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay away from that. Or I obviously have to have these views to get into journalism. And then you end up not having good journalism. You end up not having the ability for the average person to read a magazine or a newspaper and see a variety of perspectives so they can make up their own minds, which is how I always understood journalism to operate. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, well, and that's, so this is a, 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 I think that that point you've made, I think is just extremely helpful. I think of people like yourself, Barry Weiss, others who have been, people talk about them being canceled, yourself or Barry or whomever. Well, hardly, though, because Barry and I have, have more readers than so, we've ever had. Right, right. <laughs> right. And that's exactly the point. So it's great when you think of people like you and Barry, because it's like, well, they'll do fine. But you're right. The 25-year-olds are like, look, I'm not Barry Weiss. I'm not Andrew Sullivan. So I just can't say those things. And those things then become eliminated invisibly by self-censoring before anyone ever has to run them through. I mean, they wouldn't have a chance to be edited as many times as you were, right? They would have been, they would have been out the door a long time before because the magazine could cut them and it wouldn't lose anything. Right. So that's so one of the hidden uh, you know, side effects where we say, well, this person isn't being canceled. It's like, well, that's correct. They aren't. But what about a whole subset of people who are looking at them saying, if that's what happens to Andrew Sullivan, I'm toast. So I'm not right. going to say a darn thing. Well, that is my concern. And I, I hear it from younger people. 
and people want to go into journalism or aren't going into journalism. Um, and what's happened, of course, is that... But again, in a free society, there are always corrective mechanisms. As long as we have the First Amendment, there are things you can do. So I have started my Substack. Bari started her Substack. Yeah. Many, many other writers have started Substacks. They're doing incredibly well. Uh, so, and now the mainstream is beginning to sort of try and copy some of it. And I see a little bit attempt by some of these big institutions to sort of tack a little bit back towards the center because they realize, in fact, most people regard them now as this kind of tedious uh, critical theory graduate school paper. Um, uh, and so, and I'm, and many of us did really well out of it. And now our job now is maybe to hire other people and to encourage people mm -hmm. uh, to do this. And so I think, as again, I think as long as the First Amendment exists and isn't reinterpreted to mean you can't say bad things that harm, hurt people's feelings, which it could be in yeah. a couple mm -hmm. of generations, mm -hmm. But as long as we have it as it is, pretty strong, and it is pretty strong, it's very strong. It's gotten stronger in the last 20 years in many ways in, in terms of law, lawsuits and cases that, mm -hmm. are, that have... Uh, then we're going to be okay. The only thing that can cure the problems of an illiberal society are liberal values and practice of liberal values. One of the things we talk about a lot at the Winsome Conviction Project is being able to articulate in a civil way both sides of an issue. Sullivan equally supports this approach and describes an interesting way he's challenged through what he calls the dissent of the weak. So I'll give you a simple example. I came to this, I, I came to this conclusion that, well, what am I doing yelling at people to be more tolerant <laughs> liberal? So what, I need to demonstrate it. I need to actually... Mm. Do it. So that means uh, every week, for example, on my, my, my Substack, I have dissents of the week and I air yeah. the strongest, yeah. best arguments from the other side. And I make myself, well, I don't because I have my buddy Chris does it. He's, he's, my, he's the other half of the, the operation. And he will find the best, most persuasive, powerful arguments against mine. And sometimes a few really barbed, nasty things that go in there. I'm, I'm not allowed to touch that. He, he gets to do that. I get to answer. Yeah. And you do that every week. And readers get a sense that actually, although you have your point of view, your ultimate loyalty is to the truth, which you may not be right about at any moment in time, but that as long as you keep the debate open, the right thing may eventually show up. Uh, and <laughs> mm -hmm. that's... That's why I worry in which those people who have defended uh, the freedom of speech, are, uh, 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 there's an element in which they, they also want to bully. Like uh, when, I, when, I, when I see colleges and legislatures banning books uh, on the right as a response to this, uh, I, I just want to say, no, 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 no. This is not how it works. Mm. <laughs> and you are just actually becoming the mirror image of them when you do this. And... And the key thing is more. Our time closes with Sullivan offering us hope by appealing to a little-known fact about Britain's House of Commons, a place frequented by political opponents who bitterly disagree. Well, Andrew, what, what, what I'm going to take away from this is, one, let's humanize the issue. We're talking about people who have struggles, hurts, pains, hopes, fears, Second, I will walk away remembering, do we love our country more than we hate people? And then lastly, what you're saying is, 
let's listen to dissent and let it sharpen us. So your career has been amazing, uh, how long it's been and what an important voice you've been in this country. And we just want to say at the Winsome Conviction Project that um, you, have, you have caused us to think in very productive ways. Obviously, there, there might be disagreements we might have, but the way you think about the issue has been a great example to us. So I just want to say thank you for oh, that. You're so welcome. And... And in that spirit, I, 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 becoming friends with people you really disagree with is a great thing to do. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have good friends who I really are, 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 are very much more left-wing than me. And occasionally we have a good old ding-dong fight about it. But we still get a beer and we still you know, hang out together. And mm -hmm. that's what a liberal society is about. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love the old British tradition of you go to the House of Commons, you stand up and they have this... They're facing each other yeah. in the most hostile way imaginable, right? They're right, looking at each other in, the, in their faces, yelling, screaming, saying the most extraordinarily damning things about people in the proper language, but nonetheless mm -hmm. damning things. And then they'll get a beer afterwards in the, in, the, in, the, in the House of Commons pub, which is right there. They have a bar in the Commons. It's the, I mean, if you, if you didn't know that, you, you all, it's like that's where everything happens. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... That capacity, which was also true of Washington not so long ago, mm. yeah. yes. where you could like get along with, with, you know, when Joe Biden would actually hang out with Strom Thurmond, for God's sake. And if anybody could be morally objectionable, it would be Strom Thurmond uh, or Jesse Helms. But, but the point was you were supposed to deal with it, get along with them, find a way to make a deal. Yeah. 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 And... And there was a real uh, passion about that. I mean, it wasn't, it, it wasn't all lovey-dovey, for God's mm -hmm. sake. It was pretty mm -hmm. brutal and nasty yeah. some of the time. But they got it done because that's what they do. Yeah. What a great place to close it. What a great yeah. final word to say. Let's look in the... C.S. Lewis, friends look in the same direction, even, even if they disagree about things. Well, thanks a ton for joining us, Andrew. It's uh, been a privilege. We uh, are grateful for you uh, tuning in on uh, the Winsome Conviction podcast. We'd love to have you subscribe at... Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And also check us out at the winsomeconviction.com uh, to see some of the resources we make available to you for help making our discourse uh, as a nation, as a church, more civil, more loving, and more productive. So thank you for joining us today. <laughs>